Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 11, God or the Ego. Introduction. Either God or the ego is insane. If you will examine the evidence on both sides fairly, you will realize this must be true. Neither God nor the ego proposes a partial thought system. Each is internally consistent, but they are diametrically opposed in all respects so that partial allegiance is impossible. Remember, too, that their results are as different as their foundations and their fundamentally irreconcilable natures cannot be reconciled by vacillations between them. Nothing alive is fatherless, for life is creation. Therefore, your decision is always an answer to the question, Who is my father? And you will be faithful to the father you choose. Yet, what would you say to someone who believed this question really involves conflict? If you made the ego, how can the ego have made you? The authority problem is still the only source of conflict because the ego was made out of the wish of God's son to father him. The ego then is nothing more than a delusional system in which you made your own father. Make no mistake about this. It sounds insane when it is stated with perfect honesty But the ego never looks on what it does with perfect honesty. Yet that is its insane premise, which is carefully hidden in the dark cornerstone of its thought system. And either the ego, which you made, is your father, or its whole thought system will not stand. You make by projection, but God creates by extension. The cornerstone of God's creation is you, for his thought system is light. Remember the rays that are there unseen. The more you approach the center of his thought system, the clearer the light becomes. The closer you come to the foundation of the ego's thought system, the darker and more obscure becomes the way. Yet even the little spark in your mind is enough to lighten it. Bring this light fearlessly with you and bravely hold it up to the foundation of the ego's thought system. Be willing to judge it with perfect honesty. Open the dark cornerstone of terror on which it rests and bring it out into the light. There you will see that it rested on meaninglessness and that everything of which you have been afraid was based on nothing. My brother, you are part of God and part of me. When you have at last looked at the ego's foundation without shrinking, you will also have looked upon ours. I come to you from our Father, to offer you everything again. Do not refuse it in order to keep a dark cornerstone hidden, 
for its protection will not save you. I give you the lamp, and I will go with you. You will not take this journey alone. I will lead you to your true Father, who hath need of you as I have. Will you not answer the call of love with joy? Part 1. The Gifts of Fatherhood You have learned your need of healing. Would you bring anything else to the sonship, recognizing your need of healing for yourself? For in this lies the beginning of the return to knowledge, the foundation on which God will help you build again the thought system you share with him. Not one stone you place upon it, but will be blessed by him, for you will be restoring the holy dwelling place of his son, where he wills his son to be and where he is. In whatever part of the mind of God's son you restore this reality, you restore it to yourself. You dwell in the mind of God with your brother, for God himself did not will to be alone. To be alone is to be separated from infinity. But how can this be if infinity has no end? No one can be beyond the limitless, because what has no limits must be everywhere. There are no beginnings and no endings in God, whose universe is himself. Can you exclude yourself from the universe or from God who is the universe? I and my Father are one with you, for you are part of us. Do you really believe that part of God can be missing or lost to him? If you were not part of God, his will would not be unified. Is this conceivable? Can part of his mind contain nothing? If your place in his mind cannot be filled by anyone except you, and your filling it was your creation, without you there would be an empty place in God's mind. Extension cannot be blocked, and it has no voids. It continues forever, however much it is denied. Your denial of its reality may arrest it in time, but not in eternity. That is why your creations have not ceased to be extended and why so much is waiting for your return. Waiting is possible only in time, but time has no meaning. You who made delay can leave time behind simply by recognizing that neither beginnings nor endings were created by the Eternal, who placed no limits on his creation or upon those who create like him. You do not know this simply because you have tried to limit what he created, and so you believe that all creation is limited. How, then, could you know your creations having denied infinity? The laws of the universe do not permit contradiction. What holds for God holds for you. If you believe you are absent from God, you will believe that he is absent from you. 
infinity is meaningless without you and you are meaningless without God. There is no end to God and his son for we are the universe. God is not incomplete and he is not childless. Because he did not will to be alone, he created a son like himself. Do not deny him his son, for your unwillingness to accept his fatherhood has denied you yours. See his creations as his son, for yours were created in honor of him. The universe of love does not stop because you do not see it nor have your closed eyes lost the ability to see. Look upon the glory of his creation, and you will learn what God has kept for you. God has given you a place in his mind that is yours forever. Yet you can keep it only by giving it as it was given you. Could you be alone there when it was given you because God did not will to be alone? God's mind cannot be lessened. It can only be increased, for everything he creates has the function of creating. Love does not limit, and what it creates is not limited. To give without limit is God's will for you because only this can bring you the joy that is his and that he wills to share with you. Your love is as boundless as his because it is his. Could any part of God be without his love and could any part of his love be contained? God is your heritage because his one gift is himself. How can you give except like him if you would know his gift to you? Give then without limit and without end to learn how much he has given you. Your ability to accept him depends on your willingness to give as he gives. Your fatherhood and your father are one. God wills to create, and your will is his. It follows, then, that you will to create, since your will follows from his. And being an extension of his will, yours must be the same. Yet what you will, you do not know. This is not strange when you realize that to deny is to not know. God's will is that you are his son. By denying this, you deny your own will, and therefore do not know what it is. You must ask what God's will is in everything, because it is yours. You do not know what it is, but the Holy Spirit remembers it for you. Ask him, therefore, what God's will is for you, and he will tell you yours. It cannot be too often repeated that you do not know it. Whenever what the Holy Spirit tells you appears to be coercive, it is only because you have not recognized your will. The projection of the ego makes it appear as if God's will is outside yourself, and therefore not yours. 
In this interpretation, it seems possible for God's will and yours to conflict. God, then, may seem to demand of you what you do not want to give, and thus deprive you of what you want. Would God, who wants only your will, be capable of this? Your will is his life, which he has given to you. Even in time, you cannot live apart from him. Sleep is not death. What he created can sleep, but cannot die. Immortality is his will for his son, and his son's will for himself. God's son cannot will death for himself because his father is life, and his son is like him. Creation is your will because it is his. You cannot be happy unless you do what you will truly, and you cannot change this because it is immutable. It is immutable by God's will and yours, for otherwise his will would not be extended. You are afraid to know God's will because you believe it is not yours. This belief is your whole sickness and your whole fear. Every symptom of sickness and fear arises here because this is the belief that makes you want not to know. Believing this, you hide in darkness, denying that the light is in you. You are asked to trust the Holy Spirit only because he speaks for you. He is the voice for God, but never forget that God did not will to be alone. He shares his will with you. He does not thrust it upon you. Always remember that what he gives he keeps so that nothing he gives can contradict him. You who share his life must share it to know it, for sharing is knowing. Blessed are you who learn that to hear the will of your Father is to know your own. For it is your will to be like him, whose will it is that it be so. God's will is that his Son be one and united with him in his oneness. That is why healing is the beginning of the recognition that your will is his. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 11, Part 2, The Invitation to Healing. If sickness is separation, the decision to heal and to be healed is the first step toward recognizing what you truly want. Every attack is a step away from this, and every healing thought brings it closer. The Son of God has both Father and Son because he is both Father and Son. To unite having and being 
is to unite your will with his, for he wills you himself. And you will yourself to him because in your perfect understanding of him, you know there is but one will. Yet when you attack any part of God and his kingdom, your understanding is not perfect and what you really want is therefore lost to you. Healing thus becomes a lesson in understanding. And the more you practice it, the better teacher and learner you become. If you have denied truth, what better witnesses to its reality could you have than those who have been healed by it? But be sure to count yourself among them, for in your willingness to join them is your healing accomplished. Every miracle that you accomplish speaks to you of the fatherhood of God. Every healing thought that you accept, either from your brother or in your own mind, teaches you that you are God's son. In every hurtful thought you hold, wherever you perceive it, lies the denial of God's fatherhood and of your sonship. And denial is as total as love. You cannot deny part of yourself because the rest will seem to be separate and therefore without meaning. And being without meaning to you, you will not understand it. To deny meaning is to fail to understand. You can heal only yourself, for only God's Son needs healing. You need it because you do not understand yourself, and therefore know not what you do. Having forgotten your will, you do not know what you really want. Healing is a sign that you want to make whole, and this willingness opens your ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit, whose message is wholeness. He will enable you to go far beyond the healing you would undertake. For beside your small willingness to make whole, he will lay his own complete will and make yours whole. What can the Son of God not accomplish with the fatherhood of God in him? And yet the invitation must come from you. For you have surely learned that whom you invite as your guest will abide with you. The Holy Spirit cannot speak to an unwelcoming host because he will not be heard. The eternal guest remains, but his voice grows faint in alien company. He needs your protection only because your care is a sign that you want him. Think like him ever so slightly, and the little spark becomes a blazing light that fills your mind so that he becomes your only guest. Whenever you ask the ego to enter, you lessen his welcome. He will remain, but you have allied yourself against him. 
Whatever journey you choose to take, he will go with you, waiting. You can safely trust his patience, for he cannot leave a part of God. Yet you need far more than patience. You will never rest until you know your function and fulfill it. For only in this can your will and your Father's be wholly joined. To have him is to be like him, and he has given himself to you. You who have God must be as God, for his function became yours with his gift. Invite this knowledge back into your mind, and let nothing that obscures it enter. The guest whom God sent you will teach you how to do this, if you but recognize the little spark and are willing to let it grow. Your willingness need not be perfect, because his is If you will merely offer him a little place, he will lighten it so much that you will gladly let it be increased. And by this increase, you will begin to remember creation. Would you be hostage to the ego or host to God? You will accept only whom you invite. You are free to determine who shall be your guest and how long he shall remain with you. Yet this is not real freedom, for it still depends on how you see it. The Holy Spirit is there, although he cannot help you without your invitation. And the ego is nothing, whether you invite it in or not. Real freedom is depends on welcoming reality and of your guests only the Holy Spirit is real. Know then who abides with you merely by recognizing what is there already and do not be satisfied with imaginary comforters for the comforter of God is in you. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 11, Part 3, From Darkness to Light. When you are weary, remember you have hurt yourself. Your comforter will rest you, but you cannot You do not know how, for if you did, you could never have grown weary. Unless you hurt yourself, you could never suffer in any way, for that is not God's will for his son. Pain is not of him, for he knows no attack, and his peace surrounds you silently. God is very quiet, for there is no conflict in him. Conflict is the root of all evil, for being blind, it does not see whom it attacks. Yet it always attacks the Son of God, and the Son of God is you. 
God's Son is indeed in need of comfort, for he knows not what he does, believing his will is not his own. The kingdom is his, and yet he wanders homeless. At home in God, he is lonely, and amid all his brothers, he is friendless. Would God let this be real when he did not will to be alone himself? And if your will is his, it cannot be true of you because it is not true of him. Oh, my child, if you knew what God wills for you, your joy would be complete. And what he wills has happened, for it was always true. When the light comes and you have said, God's will is mine, you will see such beauty that you will know it is not of you. Out of your joy, you will create beauty in his name, for your joy could no more be contained than his. The bleak little world will vanish into nothingness and your heart will be so filled with joy that it will leap into heaven and into the presence of God. I cannot tell you what this will be like, for your heart is not ready. Yet I can tell you and remind you often that what God wills for himself, he wills for you, and what he wills for you is yours. The way is not hard, but it is very different. Yours is the way of pain, of which God knows nothing. That way is hard indeed and very lonely. Fear and grief are your guests, and they go with you and abide with you on the way. But the dark journey is not the way of God's Son. Walk in light and do not see the dark companions, for they are not fit companions for the Son of God, who was created of light and in light. The great light always surrounds you and shines out from you. How can you see the dark companions in a light such as this? If you see them, it is only because you are denying the light. But deny them instead, for the light is here and the way is clear. God hides nothing from his son, even though his son would hide himself. Yet the son of God cannot hide his glory, for God wills him to be glorious and gave him the light that shines in him. You will never lose your way, for God leads you. When you wander, you but undertake a journey that is not real. The dark companions, the dark way, are all illusions. Turn toward the light, for the little spark in you is part of a light so great that it can sweep you out of all darkness forever. For your father is your creator and you are like him. 
The children of light cannot abide in darkness, for darkness is not in them. Do not be deceived by the dark comforters, and never let them enter the mind of God's Son, for they have no place in his temple. When you are tempted to deny him, remember that there are no other gods to place before him and accept his will for you in peace, for you cannot accept it otherwise. Only God's comforter can comfort you. In the quiet of his temple, he waits to give you the peace that is yours. Give his peace so that you may enter the temple and find it waiting for you. But be holy in the presence of God, or you will not know that you are there. For what is unlike God cannot enter his mind, because it was not his thought, and therefore does not belong to him. And your mind must be as pure as his, if you would know what belongs to you. Guard carefully his temple, for he himself dwells there and abides in peace. You cannot enter God's presence with the dark companions beside you, but you also cannot enter alone. All your brothers must enter with you, for until you have accepted them, you cannot enter. For you cannot understand wholeness unless you are whole. And no part of the Son can be excluded if he would know the wholeness of his Father. In your mind, you can accept the whole Sonship and bless it with the light your Father gave it. Then you will be worthy to dwell in the temple with him, because it is your will not to be alone. God blessed his son forever. If you will bless him in time, you will be in eternity. Time cannot separate you from God if you use it on behalf of the eternal. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 11, Part 4, The Inheritance of God's Son. Never forget that the sonship is your salvation, for the sonship is yourself. As God's creation, it is yours, and belonging to you, it is his. Yourself does not need salvation, but your mind needs to learn what salvation is. You are not saved from anything, but you are saved for glory. Glory is your inheritance given you by your creator that you might extend it. Yet if you hate part of yourself, all your understanding is lost because you are looking on what God created as yourself without love. 
And since what he created is part of him, you are denying him his place in his own altar. Could you try to make God homeless and know that you are at home? Can the Son deny the Father without believing that the Father has denied him? God's laws hold only for your protection, and they never hold in vain. What you experience when you deny your Father is still for your protection, for the power of your will cannot be lessened without the intervention of God against it. And any limitation on your power is not the will of God. Therefore, look only to the power that God gave to save you, remembering that it is yours because it is his, and join with your brothers in his peace. Your peace lies in its limitlessness. Limit the peace you share and yourself must be unknown to you. Every altar to God is part of you because the light he created is one with him. Would you cut off a brother from the light that is yours? You would not do so if you realized that you can darken only your own mind. As you bring him back, so will you return. That is the law of God for the protection of the wholeness of his son. Only you can deprive yourself of anything. Do not oppose this realization, for it is truly the beginning of the dawn of light. Remember also that the denial of this simple fact takes many forms. And these you must learn to recognize and to oppose steadfastly without exception. This is a crucial step in the reawakening. The beginning phases of this reversal are often quite painful. For as blame is withdrawn from without, there is a strong tendency to harbor it within. It is difficult at first to realize that this is exactly the same thing, for there is no distinction between within and without. If your brothers are part of you and you blame them for your deprivation, you are blaming yourself. And you cannot blame yourself without blaming them. That is why blame must be undone, not seen elsewhere. Lay it to yourself and you cannot know yourself, for only the ego blames at all. Self-blame is therefore ego identification, and as much an ego defense as blaming others. You cannot enter God's presence if you attack his son. When his son lifts his voice in praise of his creator, he will hear the voice for his father. Yet the creator cannot be praised without his son, for their glory is shared and they are glorified together. Christ is at God's altar, waiting to welcome his son. 
but come holy without condemnation, for otherwise you will believe that the door is barred and you cannot enter. The door is not barred, and it is impossible that you cannot enter the place where God would have you be. But love yourself with the love of Christ, for so does your Father love you. You can refuse to enter, but you cannot bar the door that Christ holds open. Come unto me who hold it open for you, for while I live it cannot be shut. And I live forever. God is my life and yours, and nothing is denied by God to his Son. At God's altar, Christ waits for the restoration of himself in you. God knows his Son as wholly blameless as himself, and he is approached through the appreciation of his Son. Christ waits for your acceptance of him as yourself and of his wholeness as yours. For Christ is the Son of God who lives in his creator and shines with his glory. Christ is the extension of the love and the loveliness of God, as perfect as his creator and at peace with him. Blessed is the Son of God, whose radiance is of his Father, and whose glory he wills to share as his Father shares it with him. There is no condemnation in the Son, for there is no condemnation in the Father. Sharing the perfect love of the Father, the Son must share what belongs to him, for otherwise he will not know the Father or the Son. Peace be unto you who rest in God, and in whom the whole sonship rests. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 11, Part 5. The Dynamics of the Ego No one can escape from illusions unless he looks at them, for not looking is the way they are protected. There is no need to shrink from illusions, for they cannot be dangerous. We are ready to look more closely at the ego's thought system because together we have the lamp that will dispel it. And since you realize you do not want it, you must be ready. Let us be very calm in doing this, for we are merely looking honestly for truth. The dynamics of the ego will be our lesson for a while, for we must look first at this to see beyond it, since you have made it real. We will undo this error quietly together and then look beyond it to truth. What is healing but the removal of all that stands in the way of knowledge? How else can one dispel illusions except by looking at them directly without protecting them?
be not afraid, therefore, for what you will be looking at is the source of fear, and you are beginning to learn that fear is not real. You are also learning that its effects can be dispelled merely by denying their reality. The next step is so obviously to recognize that what has no effects does not exist. Laws do not operate in a vacuum, and what leads to nothing has not happened. If reality is recognized by its extension, what leads to nothing could not be real. Do not be afraid then to look upon fear, for it cannot be seen. Clarity undoes confusion by definition, and to look upon darkness through light must dispel it. Let us begin this lesson in egodynamics by understanding that the term itself does not mean anything. It contains the very contradiction in terms that make it meaningless. Dynamics implies the power to do something, and the whole separation fallacy lies in the belief that the ego has the power to do anything. The ego is fearful to you because you believe this. Yet the truth is very simple. All power is of God. What is not of him has no power to do anything. When we look at the ego then, we are not considering dynamics but delusions. You can surely regard a delusional system without fear, for it cannot have any effects if its source is not real. Fear becomes more obviously inappropriate if you recognize the ego's goal, which is so clearly senseless that any effort on its behalf is necessarily expended on nothing. The ego's goal is quite explicitly ego autonomy. From the beginning, then, its purpose is to be separate, sufficient unto itself and independent of any power except its own. This is why it is the symbol of separation. Every idea has a purpose and its purpose is always the natural outcome of what it is. Everything that stems from the ego is the natural outcome of its central belief, and the way to undo its results is merely to recognize that their source is not natural, being out of accord with your true nature. I have said before, that to will contrary to God is wishful thinking and not real willing. His will is one because the extension of his will can, cannot be unlike itself. The real conflict you experience then is between the ego's idle wishes and the will of God for which you share. 
can this be a real conflict? Yours is the independence of creation, not of autonomy. Your whole creative function lies in your complete dependence on God, whose function he shares with you. By his willingness to share it, he became as dependent on you as you are on him. Do not ascribe the ego's arrogance to him who wills not to be independent of you. He has included you in his autonomy. Can you believe that autonomy is meaningful apart from him? The belief in ego autonomy is costing you the knowledge of your dependence on God in which your freedom lies. The ego sees all dependency as threatening and has twisted even your longing for God into a means of establishing itself. But do not be deceived by its interpretation of your conflict. The ego always attacks on behalf of separation. Believing it has the power to do this, it does nothing else because its goal of autonomy is nothing else. The ego is totally confused about reality, but it does not lose sight of its goal. It is much more vigilant than you are because it is perfectly certain of its purpose. You are confused because you do not recognize yours. You must recognize that the last thing the ego wishes you to realize is that you are afraid of it. For if the ego could give rise to fear, it would diminish your independence and weaken your power. Yet its one claim to your allegiance is that it can give power to you. Without this belief, you would not listen to it at all. How, then, can its existence continue if you realize that, by accepting it, you are belittling yourself and depriving yourself of power? The ego can and does allow you to regard yourself as supercilious, unbelieving, light-hearted, distant, emotionally shallow, callous, uninvolved, and even desperate, but not really afraid. Minimizing fear, but not its undoing, is the ego's constant effort and is indeed a skill at which it is very ingenious. How can it preach separation without upholding it through fear? And would you listen to it if you recognized this is what it is doing? recognition that whatever seems to separate you from God is only fear, regardless of the form it takes and quite apart from how the ego wants you to experience it, is therefore the basic ego threat. Its dream of autonomy is shaken to its foundation by this awareness. For though you may 
countenance a false idea of independence, you will not accept the cost of fear if you recognize it. Yet this is the cost, and the ego cannot minimize it. If you overlook love, you are overlooking yourself, and you must fear unreality because you have denied yourself. By believing that you have successfully attacked truth, you are believing that attack has power. Very simply then, you have become afraid of yourself. And no one wants to find what he believes would destroy him. If the ego's goal of autonomy could be accomplished, God's purpose could be defeated. And this is impossible. Only by learning what fear is can you finally learn to distinguish the possible from the impossible and the false from the true. According to the ego's teaching, its goal can be accomplished and God's purpose cannot. According to the Holy Spirit's teaching, only God's purpose can be accomplished and it is accomplished already. God is as dependent on you as you are on him because his autonomy encompasses yours and is therefore incomplete without it. You can only establish your autonomy by identifying with him and fulfilling your function as it exists in truth. The ego believes that to accomplish its goal is happiness, but it is given you to know that God's function is yours and happiness cannot be found apart from your joint will. Recognize only that the ego's goal, which you have pursued so diligently, has merely brought you fear, and it becomes difficult to maintain that fear is happiness. Upheld by fear, this is what the ego would have you believe. Yet God's son is not insane and cannot believe it. Let him but recognize it, and he will not accept it. For only the insane would choose fear in place of love, and only the insane could believe that love can be gained by attack. But the sane realize that only attack could produce fear, from which the love of God completely protects them. The ego analyzes, the Holy Spirit accepts. The appreciation of wholeness comes only through acceptance, for to analyze means to break down or to separate out. The attempt to understand totality by breaking it down is clearly the characteristically contradictory approach of the ego to everything. The ego believes that power, understanding, and truth lie in separation, and to establish this belief, it must attack. Unaware that the belief cannot be established, and obsessed with the conviction that separation is salvation, the ego attacks everything it perceives by breaking it into small, disconnected parts 
without meaningful relationships and therefore without meaning. The ego will always substitute chaos for meaning. For if separation is salvation, harmony is threat. The ego's interpretations of the laws of perception are and would have to be the exact opposite of the Holy Spirit's. The ego focuses on error and overlooks truth. It makes real every mistake it perceives, and with characteristically circular reasoning concludes that because of the mistake, consistent truth must be meaningless. The next step then is obvious. If consistent truth is meaningless, inconsistency must be true. Holding error clearly in mind and protecting what it has made real, the ego proceeds to the next step in its thought system. Error is real and truth is error. The ego makes no attempt to understand this and it is clearly not understandable. But the ego does make every attempt to demonstrate it, and this it does constantly. Analyzing to attack, meaning the ego succeeds in overlooking it, and is left with a series of fragmented perceptions which it unifies on behalf of itself. This then becomes the universe it perceives, And it is this universe which in turn becomes its demonstration of its own reality. Do not underestimate the appeal of the ego's demonstrations to those who would listen. Selective perception chooses its witnesses carefully and its witnesses are consistent. The case for insanity is strong to the insane. For reasoning ends at its beginning and no thought system transcends its source. Yet reasoning without meaning cannot demonstrate anything and those who are convinced by it must be deluded. Can the ego teach truly when it overlooks truth? Can it perceive what it has denied? Its witnesses do attest to its denial, but hardly to what it has denied. The ego looks straight at the Father and does not see him, for it has denied his Son. Would you remember the Father? Accept his Son and you will remember him. Nothing can demonstrate that his son is unworthy, for nothing can prove that a lie is true. What you see of his son through the eyes of the ego is a demonstration that his son does not exist. Yet where the son is, the father must be. Accept what God does not deny and it will demonstrate its truth. The witnesses for God stand in his light and behold what he created. Their silence is the sign that they have beheld God's Son, 
and in the presence of Christ, they need demonstrate nothing. For Christ speaks to them of himself and of his Father. They are silent because Christ speaks to them. And it is his words they speak. Every brother you meet becomes a witness for Christ or for the ego, depending on what you perceive in him. Everyone convinces you of what you want to perceive and of the reality of the kingdom you have chosen for your vigilance. Everything you perceive is a witness to the thought system you want to be true. Every brother has the power to release you if you choose to be free. You cannot accept false witness of him unless you have evoked false witnesses against him. If he speaks not of Christ to you, you spoke not of Christ to him. You hear but your own voice. And if Christ speaks through you, you will hear him. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 11, Part 6, Waking to Redemption. It is impossible not to believe what you see, but it is equally impossible to see what you do not believe. Perceptions are built up on the basis of experience, and experience leads to beliefs. It is not until beliefs are fixed that perceptions stabilize. In effect, then, what you believe, you do see. That is what I meant when I said, Blessed are ye who have not seen and still believe. For those who believe in the resurrection will see it. The resurrection is the complete triumph of Christ over the ego, not by attack, but by transcendence. For Christ does rise above the ego and all its works and ascends to the Father and his kingdom. Would you join in the resurrection or the crucifixion? Would you condemn your brothers or free them? Would you transcend your prison and ascend to the Father? These questions are all the same and are answered together. There has been much confusion about what perception means because the word is used both for awareness and for the interpretation of awareness. Yet, You cannot be aware without interpretation, 
for what you perceive is your interpretation. This course is perfectly clear. If you do not see it clearly, it is because you are interpreting against it and therefore do not believe it. And since belief determines perception, you do not perceive what it means and therefore do not accept it. Yet different experiences lead to different beliefs and with them different perceptions. For perceptions are learned with beliefs and experience does teach. I am leading you to a new kind of experience that you will become less and less willing to deny. Learning of Christ is easy, for to perceive with him involves no strain at all. His perceptions are your natural awareness, and it is only the distortions you introduce that tire you. Let the Christ in you interpret for you, and do not try to limit what you see by narrow little beliefs that are unworthy of God's Son. For until Christ comes into his own, the Son of God will see himself as fatherless. I am your resurrection and your life. You live in me because you live in God. And everyone lives in you as you live in everyone. Can you then perceive unworthiness in a brother and not perceive it in yourself? And can you perceive it in yourself and not perceive it in God? Believe in the resurrection because it has been accomplished and it has been accomplished in you. This is as true now as it will ever be for the resurrection is the will of God which knows no time and no exceptions. But make no exceptions yourself or you will not perceive what has been accomplished for you. For we ascend unto the Father together, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. For such is the nature of God's Son as his Father created him. Do not underestimate the power of the devotion of God's Son, nor the power the God he worships has over him. For he places himself at the altar of his God, whether it be the God he made or the God who created him. That is why his slavery is as complete as his freedom, for he will obey only the God he accepts. The God of crucifixion demands that he crucify, and his worshipers obey. In his name, they crucify themselves, believing that the power of the Son of God is born of sacrifice and pain. The God of resurrection demands nothing, 
for he does not will to take away. He does not require obedience, for obedience implies submission. He would only have you learn your will and follow it, not in the spirit of sacrifice and submission, but in the gladness of freedom. Resurrection must compel your allegiance gladly because it is the symbol of joy. Its whole compelling power lies in the fact that it represents what you want to be. The freedom to leave behind everything that hurts you and humbles you and frightens you cannot be thrust upon you, but it can be offered you through the grace of God. And you can accept it by his grace, for God is gracious to his son, accepting him without question as his own. Who then is your own? The Father has given you all that is his, and he himself is yours with them. Guard them in their resurrection, for otherwise you will not awake in God, safely surrounded by what is yours forever. You will not find peace until you have removed the nails from the hands of God's Son and taken the last thorn from his forehead. The love of God surrounds his Son, whom the God of crucifixion condemns. Teach not that I died in vain. Teach rather that I did not die by demonstrating that I live in you. For the undoing of the crucifixion of God's Son is the work of the redemption in which everyone has a part of equal value. God does not judge his guiltless son. Having given himself to him, how could it be otherwise? You have nailed yourself to a cross and placed a crown of thorns upon your own head. Yet you cannot crucify God's Son, for the will of God cannot die. His Son has been redeemed from his own crucifixion, and you cannot assign to death whom God has given eternal life. The dream of crucifixion still lies heavy on your eyes, but what you see in dreams is not reality. While you perceive the Son of God as crucified, you are asleep. And as long as you believe that you can crucify him, you are only having nightmares. You who are beginning to wake are still aware of dreams and have not yet forgotten them. The forgetting of dreams and the awareness of Christ come with the awakening of others to share your redemption. You will awaken to your own call, for the call to awake is within you. If I live in you, you are awake. 
yet you must see the works I do through you, or you will not perceive that I have done them unto you. Do not set limits on what you believe I can do through you, or you will not accept what I can do for you. Yet it is done already, and unless you give all that you have received, you will not know that your Redeemer liveth, and that you have awakened with him. Redemption is recognized only by sharing it. God's Son is saved. Bring only this awareness to the Sonship, and you will have a part in the redemption as valuable as mine. For your part must be like mine if you learn it of me. If you believe that yours is limited, you are limiting mine. There is no order of difficulty in miracles because all of God's sons are of equal value and their equality is their oneness. The whole power of God is in every part of him and nothing contradictory to his will is either great or small. What does not exist has no size and no measure. To God, all things are possible. And to Christ, it is given to be like the Father. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 11, Part 7, The Condition of Reality. The world as you perceive it cannot have been created by the Father, for the world is not as you see it. God created only the eternal, and everything you see is perishable. Therefore, there must be another world that you do not see. The Bible speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. Yet this cannot be literally true, for the eternal are not recreated. To perceive anew is merely to perceive again, implying that before, or in the interval between, you were not perceiving at all. What, then, is the world that awaits your perception when you see it? Every loving thought that the Son of God ever had is eternal. The loving thoughts in his mind perceives in this world are the world's only reality. They are still perceptions because he still believes that he is separate. Yet, they are eternal because they are loving. And being loving, they are like the Father and therefore cannot die. The real world can actually be perceived. All that is necessary is a willingness to perceive nothing else. 
For if you perceive both good and evil, you are accepting both the false and the true and making no distinction between them. The ego may see some good, but never only good. That is why its perceptions are so variable. It does not reject goodness entirely, for that you could not accept. But it always adds something that is not real to the real, thus confusing illusion and reality. For perceptions cannot be partly true. If you believe in truth and illusion, you cannot tell which is true. To establish your personal autonomy, you tried to create unlike your father, believing that what you made is capable of being unlike him. Yet everything true is like him. Perceiving only the real world will lead you to the real heaven because it will make you capable of understanding it. The perception of goodness is not knowledge, but the denial of the opposite of goodness enables you to recognize a condition in which opposites do not exist. And this is the condition of knowledge. Without this awareness, you have not met its conditions, and until you do, you will not know it is yours already. You have made many ideas that you have placed between yourself and your creator. And these beliefs are the world as you perceive it. Truth is not absent here, but it is obscure. You do not know the difference between what you have made and what God created. And so you do not know the difference between what you have made and what you have created. To believe that you can perceive the real world is to believe that you can know yourself. You can know God because it is his will to be known. The real world is all that the Holy Spirit has saved for you out of what you have made. And to perceive only this is salvation, because it is the recognition that reality is only what is true. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 11, Part 8. The problem and the answer. This is a very simple course. Perhaps you do not feel you need a course which, in the end, teaches that only reality is true. But do you believe it? When you perceive the real world, you will recognize that you did not believe it. Yet the swiftness with which your new and only real perception will be translated into knowledge will leave you but an instant to realize that this alone is true. And then everything you made 
will be forgotten, the good and the bad, the false and the true. For as heaven and earth become one, even the real world will vanish from your sight. The end of the world is not its destruction, but its translation into heaven. The reinterpretation of the world is the transfer of all knowledge of all perception to knowledge. The Bible tells you to become as little children. Little children recognize that they do not understand what they perceive, and so they ask what it means. Do not make the mistake of believing that you understand what you perceive, for its meaning is lost to you. Yet the Holy Spirit has saved its meaning for you, and if you will let him interpret it, he will restore to you what you have thrown away. Yet while you think you know its meaning, you will see no need to ask it of him. You do not know the meaning of anything you perceive. No one thought you hold, not one thought you hold, is wholly true. The recognition of this is your firm beginning. You are not misguided. You have accepted no guide at all. Instruction in perception is your great need, for you understand nothing. Recognize this, but do not accept it, for understanding is your inheritance. Perceptions are learned, and you are not without a teacher. Yet your willingness to learn of him depends on your willingness to question everything you learned of yourself. For you who learned amiss should not be your own teacher. No one can withhold truth except from himself. Yet God will not refuse you the answer he gave. Ask then for what is yours, but which you did not make, and do not defend yourself against truth. You made the problem God has answered. Ask yourself, therefore, but one simple question. Do I want the problem or do I want the answer? Decide for the answer and you will have it, for you will see it as it is and it is yours already. You may complain that this course is not sufficiently specific for you to understand and use. Yet perhaps you have not done what it specifically advocates. This is not a course in the play of ideas, but in their practical application. Nothing could be more specific than to be told that if you ask, you will receive. The Holy Spirit will answer every specific problem as long as you believe that problems are specific. His answer is both many 
and one, as long as you believe that the one is many. You may be afraid of his specificity for fear of what you think it will demand of you. Yet only by asking will you learn that nothing of God demands anything of you. God gives. He does not take. When you refuse to ask, it is because you believe that asking is taking rather than sharing. The Holy Spirit will give you only what is yours and will take nothing in return. For what is yours is everything, and you share it with God. That is its reality. Would the Holy Spirit, who wills only to restore, be capable of misinterpreting the question you must ask to learn his answer? You have heard the answer, but you have misunderstood the question. You believe that to ask for guidance of the Holy Spirit is to ask for deprivation. Little child of God, you do not understand your Father. You believe in a world that takes because you believe that you can get by taking. And by that perception, you have lost sight of the real world. You are afraid of the world as you see it, but the real world is still yours for the asking. Do not deny it to yourself, for it can only free you. Nothing of God will enslave his son whom he created free and whose freedom is protected by his being. Blessed are you who are willing to ask the truth of God without fear. For only thus can you learn that his answer is the release from fear. Beautiful child of God, you are asking only for what I promised you. Do you believe I would deceive you? The kingdom of heaven is within you. Believe that the truth is in me, for I know that it is in you. God's sons have nothing they do not share. Ask for truth of any son of God, and you have asked it of me. Not one of us, but has the answer in him to give to anyone who asks it of him. Ask anything of God's son, and his father will answer you. For Christ is not deceived in his Father, and his Father is not deceived in him. Do not, then, be deceived in your brother, and see only his loving thoughts as his reality. For by, for by denying that his mind is split, you, you will heal yours. Accept him as his Father accepts him, and heal him unto Christ, For Christ is his healing and yours. Christ is the Son of God, who is in no way separate from his Father, whose every thought is as loving as the thought of his Father by which he was created. Be not deceived in God's Son, for thereby you must be deceived in yourself. 
And being deceived in yourself, you are deceived in your Father, in whom no deceit is possible. In the real world, there is no sickness, for there is no separation and no division. Only loving thoughts are recognized, and because no one is without your help, the help of God goes with you everywhere. As you become willing to accept this help by asking for it, you will give it because you want it. Nothing will be beyond your healing power because nothing will be denied by your simple request. What problems will not disappear in the presence of God's answer. Ask, then, to learn of the reality of your brother, because this is what you will perceive in him. And you will see your beauty reflected in his. Do not accept your brother's variable perception of himself For his split mind is yours, and you will not accept your healing without his. For you share the real world as you share heaven, and healing is yours. To love yourself is to heal yourself, and you cannot perceive part of you as sick and achieve your goal. Brother, we heal together as we live together and love together. Be not deceived in God's Son, for he is one with himself and one with his Father. Love him who is beloved of his Father, and you will learn of the Father's love for you. If you perceive offense in a brother, pluck the offense from your mind, for you are offended by Christ and are deceived in him. Heal in Christ and be not offended by him, for there is no offense in him. If what you perceive offends you, you are offended in yourself and are condemning God's Son, whom God condemneth not. Let the Holy Spirit remove all offenses of God's Son against himself, and perceive no one but through his guidance, for he would save you from all condemnation. Accept his healing power, and use it for all he sends you. For he wills to heal the Son of God in whom he is not deceived. Children perceive frightening ghosts and monsters and dragons, and they are terrified. Yet, if they ask someone they trust for the meaning of what they perceive, and are willing to let their own interpretations go in favor of reality. Their fear goes with them. 
when a child is helped to translate his ghost into a curtain, his monster into a shadow, and his dragon into a dream, he is no longer afraid and laughs happily at his own fear. You, my child, are afraid of your brothers and of your father and of yourself but you are merely deceived in them. Ask what they are of the teacher of reality, and hearing his answer, you too will laugh at your fears and replace them with peace. For fear lies not in reality, but in the minds of children who do not understand reality. It is only their lack of understanding that frightens them. And when they learn to perceive truly, they are not afraid. And because of this, they will ask for truth again when they are frightened. It is not the reality of your brothers or your father or yourself that frightens you. You do not know what they are. And so you perceive them as ghosts and monsters and dragons. Ask what their reality is from the one who knows it, and he will tell you what they are. For you do not understand them, and because you are deceived by what you see, you need reality to dispel your fears. Would you not exchange your fears for truth? If the exchange is yours for the asking, For if God is not deceived in you, you can be deceived only in yourself. Yet you can learn the truth about yourself from the Holy Spirit, who will teach you that, as part of God, deceit in you is impossible. When you perceive yourself without deceit, you will accept the real world in place of the false one you have made. And then your father will lean down to you and take the last step for you by raising you onto himself.